Well, how many of you like tests? Like to take a test? No, you don't. I, like if I was taking like the, the kindergarten test right now, I might be all right. But I, I, one of the things that I didn't like was word problems in math. Does anybody have those ones? They go something like this. You're, you're going along and you feel like you know what's happening. Then you get to the chapter. You're like, I, I get it. I get it. And then they give you this word problem. It goes something like this. If I throw a triangle out of a car, the car is going 20 miles an hour. And the re- wind resistance is something that exists. How many cupcakes can Pedro buy with one human soul? That's pretty much how it sounds. Anybody else hear me out there? Yeah, that's pretty much how it sounds. And you're like, I have no idea. There is no way I will ever pass this test. Sometimes you're a little cocky when you get to a test. Uh, where I grew up, the person that did uh, driver's testing, here, somebody take my keys here. The person that did driving tests came to our, our town. It was so small. would come about once a month. And so my sister and I took the test on the same day. And I was like, I am so going to win on this. I'm going to beat her. And so we take the test. Uh, and of course, on that day, it was my mom's car. Of course, on that day, the signal light's not working. So you're like hanging your arm out the window while trying to shift with your hand. Like, you know, like do I pull it in now or not? And the guy's just looking at you smiling. And, you're like, oh. and so at the end, my cockiness was fully gone. By the end, I, I came in and I'm like sweating. Like, did I pass? He's like, you passed by one point. One point, and some of you would drive with me. You would say, I'm not sure you should have passed. But you keep your opinion to yourself. There was a first-year student who reported for his university exam, and it was uh, all yes and no answers, true, false. So he takes a seat in the examination uh, hall, and he's looking at the questions and really panicking. But after a few minutes, he gets some inspiration. He reaches in, pulls out a coin, starts tossing the coin and marking the answer, yes, for heads, no for tails. Within a half hour, he's done. Nobody else is done. They're all sweating it out. During the last few minutes, he's desperately throwing the coin again, muttering and swearing. The moderator, alarmed, approaches him and says, what's going on? I finished the exam in a half an hour, but I'm just rechecking my answers. <laughs> Try that again. Some of you are going to get that in a moment. It's going to be all right. A police recruit was asked during a test, what would you do if you had to arrest your mother? He thought for a moment. He said, I'd definitely call for backup. (laughs) We are tested in many, many areas regularly. And one area that every one of us is tested in every day is money. How we handle it, how we spend it, how we save it. And it's a subject that Canadians generally, uh, we don't do so well at in a testing of it. More than half of Canadians, okay, just one moment. Can somebody help them right here, please? Half of Canadians say they're just $200 away from financial insolvency at the end of any given month. Half. And nearly as many regret how much debt they've taken on. A new survey has found one in 10 said they have less than $100 left over at the end of each month. While nearly one third say they don't make enough money to cover their expenses. Still true. Yet, often, churches don't talk about money. Or they only talk about it in a manipulative way, which is not our heart in any time that we talk about money. But, 
Let me think about this. In our attempt to be correct, because we've all seen them or seen a caricature of them where there's somebody on TV who's selling you, uh, give me so many dollars, I'll send you this water from an ancient spring that I prayed over, and if you put this and like rub it in your eyes, you will have something good happen. And when you're done, send it to 12 people on your Facebook list, and it'll be amazing, okay? So that's, if, that's how sometimes the church's view of money is, and we, we need to own that, but that's not God's view of how money works. But here at Horizon, we want to talk about an issue that all of us are dealing with every day. All of us are dealing with it. And when we talk about it, I'm not talking from the place of somebody who's figured it all out, who's never had an issue with it. Every day, it's just wonderful. I've, I've been there when I didn't know when there would be enough left over at the end of the month. I've been there getting calls from creditors when you're like, uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay for that. Uh, can you have mercy on me, please? And we go through all those things. But I do know this, that Jesus addresses every area of our life. Not from the position of he wants to condemn, but actually from the position of he wants to help us in this area. And that's the heart of what this series is going to be about. It's not going to be just about money, but it's going to be about that issue as well. Because God wants us to do well in it. God wants it to be a source not of of pain and discouragement and, and brokenness and hurt and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to come at it and talk about it because Jesus wants to help every area of our life. Yes, he does. So, so he doesn't want to just talk about the things that are acceptable to talk about in church. He wants to talk about money. And in a little while, not today, he talks about other subjects, sex and sexuality. And we'll talk about those things in church. Because everybody else is talking about them and getting all kinds of misinformation and not dealing with good information and make bad decisions from them. So it's not anything to condemn. It's actually to help us. Everything that Jesus addresses in our life is so that we can be healthy, we can be growing, and we can be more uh, successful in every area of our life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your help. Uh, Give us ears to hear what you're saying, Lord Jesus. And Lord, uh, any barriers that we have right now, Lord, I pray that you would identify them and help us to work through them in Jesus' name. Amen. And just as we're talking today, I have to always remind people when we talk about money, if you need to at any time feel like you're overcome or it's like too much, just put your head between your knees, breathe deeply through your nose, out through your mouth, and you'll be fine. It will pass. Okay, just all right. Because sometimes... We might say, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Why don't you talk about churchy stuff, like prayer, like worship, like be kind to your neighbor, save the whales, like do something like that. And, and those are all fine topics to talk about. But really, there, when you look at how many verses and how many places the Bible talks about money, we should be talking about it. There are 500 verses approximately on prayer. There are about 500 verses on faith. But there are over 2,000 on money and how we handle it, money and possessions. Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. Whoa. Nearly one-third of his parables, actually more than one-third of his parables or stories were about money and how we handled it. So why wouldn't we talk about it? We, and we don't talk about it, and we wonder why very often there's much disorder in this area, much pain in this area. But can I encourage you over the next few weeks to attend, come with an open heart, because there's no way that in one sermon or one message we can address everything that the Bible says about money. But over the next four weeks, we're going to 
try and help you in a holistic way to do better in the area of money and finances so that your family and every area of your life can work better. We're going to talk about one principle today. Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21, 24 to 27, and 31 to 34. All out of one chapter. And this chapter, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He start, starts with talking about uh, need and giving and goes through a whole chapter. And then he talks about this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, invest in something that's beyond just what you see. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will devote it to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. But the fact is, many of us worry about our life. Many of us worry about what we will wear or where we will get it from. Many of us worry about what we will eat. Is not your life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then he addresses it here. So, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we Lost my place. What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, or that's the people who don't know God, run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Someone say first. Someone else say first. First. All right, there we go. Matthew 6 reveals that there's a test for our heart. There's a test going on for our heart. There's a battle for our affections. There's a battle for our, 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 the, the inner part of us. Because what wins the battle inside of you wins the battle that comes out of you. What controls your heart controls your hands. What controls your heart controls your feet. What you do and where you go and what, what you do with your life. Because what the Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart comes out your mouth. What's in your heart comes out in your hands and what you put yourself to it. Because there's a test that's going on. How we handle money is a test. It reveals our priorities. It reveals our affections. It reveals our loyalty. It dictates blessings we will or we won't receive, depending on how we handle it. It tests our heart all the time. And financial issues are affecting all of us at different times. We live in one of the most expensive areas in Canada. Now, before you think about uh, that you're just going to move off to some little place where you have a house that's worth very, very cheap and all that kind of stuff, I grew up in a place like that. And it's great. It's great to live in. And uh, our, um, the house is much cheaper. The thing is that there are no more people there now than there were 40 years ago. Because there's this thing you have to have to pay for the house. It's called a job. And so when you're in the interior and you're in some of these places, we think if we just get in another environment, it'll be easy. Just changing your environment doesn't make it easy. It's just a different set of problems. So sometimes when we approach financial things, we think if I just change where I'm at, that'll solve everything. It might help in some way, but it might not as well. You need to be led by Jesus. But this, Jesus is saying, we worry about our life. 
We worry about what we're going to wear. We're worried about what we're going to eat. We're worrying about what we will drink. And it says they run around. Isn't that not a picture of our culture? Running around, active, trying to make it, trying to solve it, trying to hustle. I got my hustle on so I can make it. And that's kind of a picture of our culture because this is not a new issue in the world. This is 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is addressing each one of us in various stages and places. Running around, work. Will I have enough for today? What is my future going to look like in retirement? Will I have enough to make it in my retirement? How are we going to get through? Will we get ahead? In this new economy that there seems to be less and less need for people and, and need more and more artificial intelligence, what are the effects? And many of us spend our days under the curse of worry and anxiety about all these very things. We live under the curse of overwork. We live under the curse of excessive busyness. We live under the curse of stress and about what tomorrow holds, about fearing if we will have enough. And they're terrible on us. They steal our joy. They rob our sleep. They affect our physical health. They cause fights in marriage. And the number one issue that women and men in marriage fight about is, begins with finances. They affect our parenting. They limit our future. They stress us out. And Jesus almost seems insensitive to our concerns. He says, do not worry. Do not worry. Like, can you elaborate on that? And then he goes past the fluff, past the reasonings, past all the stuff that we're so concerned about, and he goes to the heart of our fear, goes to the heart of our worry, he goes to the heart of our anxiety, goes to the heart of the issue, and he begins and ends this section by circling around and talking about, it's a test for your heart. Take care of your heart issues with God, and he will take care of the money issues with you. Take care of the heart, your heart issues with God, and he will take care of the money issues with you. And he starts this section with two key phrases that govern how you deal with worry. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. And he addresses there's a real battle in our heart all the time. Who's going to run? Is it going to be eternal things or is it going to be things of this world and what I taste, what I touch, what I eat, where I'm going to sleep, all those kind of things. And those are real, but Jesus says this is more than a money issue. It's more than a management issue, although it's that. It's a mastery issue. Who will have your heart? And that term that says you can't serve God in money, that term money is not really a good translation. It actually means, uh, and the old translation has used a word called mammon, and it's a word that's transliterated, and there's a whole process of how it came to that. But it literally means the treasure a person trusts in. You can't serve God and a treasure that you trust in. Having money isn't bad. It isn't bad. It is not bad to have money and to be blessed and be financially blessed. It's very good. But loving it is more dangerous than we can, than we can imagine. The love of mammon is the root of all kinds of evil, the Bible says. You've heard that. Some, some people say, misquote it this way, they say, money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not that. It says the love of money. But there is a test in our hearts to see how we will handle it. Will we love money and what it brings, or will we love God? Because they're going to have very different results of how life lives out. When you love money, all kinds of evil can uh, take root in your heart. You can wander from the best in your life. You can increase the likelihood of being trapped in all kinds of things that you couldn't have envisioned. Excessive debt, marital breakdowns, family tension. When we love money, all kinds of foolish things come in and begin to rob us. 
And Jesus brings it around again. It's a heart issue. It's not a money issue. It's not an amount issue. Some people say, if I have lots, the people who have lots, they love money. Or the people who don't have lots, they're fine. But sometimes the people who have the most issue around money are the people who don't have any. That's the ones who love it the most. And sometimes the reverse is true. It's not an amount thing. It's a heart thing. And when we talk about money, that's why we're talking about it to start this whole series is because it's a foundational principle is that when God has your heart, he can handle, you can handle money. And when God doesn't have your heart, we will probably mishandle it in some way or be stressed out by it. But we don't have to be. But the love of money promises what only God can provide. We'll get on to that in a moment. Promises you security. Promises you significance. It says things like this. Mammon says take. God says give. Mammon is selfish. Well, God is generous. Mammon enslaves with worry and stress and anxiety and fear and all kinds of things where God wants to bless. Mammon promises you peace and gives you anxiety. Mammon says things like this. If you have the right credit cards the right clothes and the right car, and you live in the right neighborhood and know the right people, you'll be happy and fulfilled. And that's much of what our culture runs after. That's what Jesus said. We run after it. Mammon tells you that if you had more money, people would listen to you. Your relationship problems would go away and life would be sweet. You could do what you want. You could go where you want and live the way that you wanted. Mammon can get creative with Christ followers. It says this, if I just had more money, I could have more to give away. It's subtle with us because we want us to get into our motives and we sometimes don't tell the truth to ourselves. But when we start thinking that most of our problems can be solved by money or having more money, it's a sign that we may be under the influence of mammon, of loving money. If we think that that's going to solve our issues. But nowhere in scripture does God talk about money being a curse in itself. It's simply a tool. It can be a blessing or it can be a curse because it's about the, what's it about? Heart. It's about the heart. It's not about how, how much you wish you have, how much you wish you uh, uh, could do better in. It's about the heart. In fact, Scripture talks often that blessing and prosperity come to, the, to people who serve Jesus. Psalm 112, 3 says this, describing a person who fears the Lord, who respects God. It says, wealth and riches are in their house and their righteousness endures forever. That's not a promise that God's going to give you uh, four new cars and the biggest house on the block. It's simply saying, expect God to bless you when you obey him. Blessing follows obedience. Blessing follows obedience. It may include so many things, but it certainly don't exclude money from being part of the, the picture. Why would God not bless you in one area that is so vital in your life? God wants to bless you in every area of your life. But there is a condition attached to it. As you obey in that, then something good happens. And when, when God called uh, Abraham, Abraham who became the father of the Jewish nation, and through Abraham, Jesus came, he said, Abraham, I want to bless your life. But he didn't stop there. He said, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world. God wants to bless your life so that there's more than enough for you such that you have the ability to bless others through you. And there are times and seasons where you're on the receiving end of blessing and there are times and seasons when you are the one doing the blessing. But settle that in our heart that money is not the issue. It's an issue of our heart. So how do you win the test of money in your heart? In verse 33, if you can put that verse back up again, Jesus puts it all in perspective. He says, here is the key 
to win the battle for your heart. At the end of talking about don't worry about it, don't be stressed out about it, God's got you, uh, don't serve God and money, you can only serve one or the other. He says this is how you win the battle for your heart. But seek first, somebody say first, first, his kingdom, his righteousness, in other words, his ways, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, he's saying you're worrying about your food, you're worrying about your home, you're worrying about your mortgage, you're worrying about your future, you're worrying about your retirement. Hey, put me first, and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. You, If you hang around me very often, you'll hear me say a phrase, put God first, life goes best. When we put God first in every area of our life, we can't segment out a part of our life and say, God, you can have all this, but this area of my finances, I got this. You don't, I don't need you. No, stay out. No, stay away from that. But God, when he says, anytime God wants to go after an area in our life, it's so that he can bring order to it, so he can bring health to it, so we can bring prosperity to it, so we can help you to walk in good success, so you can walk with joy, so you can walk with hope, so you can walk with an anticipation rather than a dread and a fear. So Jesus says, when you seek first, it's not so that I want you, it's so Here's the pathway to change your life. Here's the pathway to change your finances is put God first. God went first. You know that he always went first, but if, because all this might not make sense, but let me explain how God always went first. It says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he went first. He didn't wait until you had it all figured out and then say, okay, now I'll forgive you. He said, before you, while you are still a sinner, while you want nothing to do with God, while you have no time for him, while you actually hate him, he says, I love you. I'm making a way for you. I'm going first, and I'm going to go to the cross before one person says yes. I'm going first because that's how God works. He steps out and does it because he believes that his, what he says actually has power. And when he says, go first in your finances, he's saying, hey, go first and I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to help you, I'm going to bring order to your life. It's not a have to, it's a get to. It's all through the scriptures. In Proverbs 3, it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What word do you see there again? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the First fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, you might say, well, I have no crops, I have no barn, and so I'm out. I'm good. This is amazing. I got my get out of giving free sign right here. It's just simply speaking to an agrarian economy which had these very things, crops and, and barns and vats and brimming over with new wine. Some of you are pumped that there's some new wine. Uh, I don't want to get into that, but you enjoy, that's yours. We won't, we won't talk about that. But honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Here it is again. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't serve God and money. The heart regulates your hands. What's going on in your heart regulates what happens with your hands, with what you give, with what you participate in. What's going on in your heart regulates what happens in your hand. But how do you put God first? He explains it right there. Take care of the heart issues with God, and God will take care of the money issues with you. Who you are on the inside in your hearts determines the quality of the life you live. So God wants you to come into order in that area. He wants me to come into order in that area because he's for you. He wants to pour out upon you, but sometimes we get blocked up uh, from his blessing. What 
Every area of my life, though, has potential to be cursed or blessed, but obedience activates blessing. Let's say that. Obedience activates blessing. One more time. Obedience activates blessing. For example, let's take it out of the money area. Suppose something bad come, happens to you and you're, have, you're wounded by somebody emotionally or they said something nasty about you. They lied about you. It can be a curse to you or you can obey God in forgiveness and see him turn it into something good. You can live under the curse of unforgiveness or the blessing of forgiveness. Same situation happened to you. It's not that one happened to the other. It's your obedience activated the blessing. So whatever, whenever God's working in some area of our life, he offers an op- opportunity. He's, it's not a love question. It's not, does God love me less if I don't give? No, God loves you absolutely where you are, how you are, with what you're going through, with what you do have, what you don't have. It's not a love question. But obedience activates blessing. Every area of my life has potential to be blessed, but obedience activates blessing that is already available. So let me say it this way. God doesn't need you to forgive. You need to be free from unforgiveness and bitterness. God doesn't need you to bless your enemy. He doesn't doesn't make any difference to him, but you need peace in your life. God doesn't need you to tithe and to give, but you need to be blessed in every area of your life. Obedience activates blessing. God provides a way by going, hey, go first and trust me with the rest. Give, return the tithe and give generously and I will take care of you. Obedience activates blessing, but it's not about the money. It's about the heart. Let's try that one more time. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. Take care of the heart issues with God because it's a trust issue. When you go first and you say, I forgive you, the trust is that God's going to take care of it and God's going to take care of you. You don't know how it's all going to work out, but you trust that God's way is the best way. When we say, God, I'm going to give you my life and I don't know how you're going to fix this mess, but I'm giving you my life and God says, I can work with that and I can begin to move in your life. But God will not go where you do not invite him to go. I want God to fix my money, but I want to do it my way. How's that working out? One-third of us don't have enough to make it in a month. More than half of us struggle with less than $100 of margin, and sometimes less than that. But that's not God's way. We're going to end with three pictures to help you understand what God wants to activate. God wants to do something in you that is greater than you're currently experiencing. I absolutely believe that, that my past does not determine my future, that what I grew up in does not have to be what I live in, that my experience does not have to be my my future, that my past does not determine where I'm going, that because of Jesus, everything new is possible. It is possible that my best days are in front of me. It is possible that God can help me financially. It is possible that God can set me free from crippling debt. It is possible. It is possible. You are blessed to be a blessing. Look what happens. Three pictures. It says that he will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. It's just a picture. It's a beautiful picture. God begins to pull up the obstacles, make rough ways smooth. He begins to straighten out your life. Where your path seemed to be going nowhere, where you thought there was no way out of it, God begins to redirect. You thought I was going to a dead end. How am I ever going to? And as I begin to put God first, he begins to straighten out my path. 
And when a path's straight, it's leading you somewhere. God's leading you. He does what only you can do. But notice what, when the path's straight, that word, it's one step at a time. Put God first, and one step at a time, he's going to begin to lead you on a new path for your life. He's going to begin to lead us on a new path for our finances. He's going to begin to lead us in a new path into our future. Makes my path straight. He wants to help me in my life, one step at a time. And as I put God first, it says my barns fill to overflowing. When, God, when I begin to put God first, he begins to increase my capacity. How does a barn get filled? One seed at a time. Yeah, but I want my barn filled right now, and I want it to be filled to overflowing. Put God first, and little by little, step by step, seed by seed, God's going to begin to add to you. God's going to begin to help you. God's going to begin to move things forward in your life. And it talks about this beautiful picture that you will begin to have testimonies of God providing for you. You'll begin to see the hand of God get you out of a place that you had no idea how to get out of. Put God first, and vats brim over with new wine. Some of you have been waiting for this one. Breaks over the limits. Breaks over the limits. So many of us feel the limit of our upbringing, the limit of our experience, the limit of our job, the limit of where we're at. We say, God, how can you take me farther and deeper? And God deals with everybody as an individual and helps all of us in different ways. But God first, a God first life changes everything. God begins to grow you. God begins to enlarge you until the limits of your life can no longer be contained one drop at a time. God begins to move. Little by little. Step, step. Move another step. Move another step. Another seed going in. A little bit more. God, I'm, I'm putting you first and I'm trusting you to do something at this. I don't see a way. Bats brim over. One drop at a time. Barn overflowing. One seed at a time. And all of these pictures show how God wants to build a legacy of more than enough through your life. All of us at different spaces. All of us at different places. Understand that God wants to bless you and your life to flow through you. Because when there's an overflow, what does that enable you to do? Enables you to give. Enables you to be a blessing to somebody else. Enables you to live in legacy. See, the legacy is this. It's a gift that's handed down. Who's the gift giver for us? It says, the Bible says, it's God who gives, gives me the power to get well. That's handed down, endowed, or conveyed from one person to another. is something one comes into possession of that's, that is transmitted, inherited, or received from a predecessor. In other words, I didn't earn it. He gave it. God gives. And God's given into our lives, little by little, seed by seed, drop by drop, step by step, but pastor, I'm barely surviving. You read those stats at the beginning. One step at a time, one seed at a time. But I'm just a student. One drop at a time, take a step. And when you put God first in your life, you actually begin to have him lead the way. You actually have him begin to lead the way. The word breakthrough shows up in another passage, that, brimo, that over the brim. Micah 2 and 13 talks about the same word. It says, the one who breaks open the way will go before you. He will break through the gate and go out. The king will pass through before him, the Lord at their heads. In other words, when you put God first in your finances, he goes before you. 
He breaks through things that you couldn't break through. He steps you into places that you have no business stepping into. He wants to bless you to take you into new places. But you can lead and continue to hit things that you can't break through. You can lead and continue to not move into a new spot. Or you can say, God, I'm going to put you first. And Jesus begins to break through things for your life into a new dimension that is impossible in yourself. And let me tell you that God wants to do a legacy work in your life that where you go from the place of just survival to actually in financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every area of your life, that you become an overflow person, you become an over-the-brim person, you become a more-than-enough person, you become a way-that-straight person because you allow Jesus to do what Jesus wants to do. He goes before you in every area of your life. In 2002... We were moving from Campbell River to Courtney. And uh, we were gonna, looking for a house to rent. We were moving to a new job, a new church. And uh, someone called us and said, have you found a house yet? And I said, well, no, we're looking. Uh, they said, well, do you, why don't you buy one? I'm like, I don't have the money to buy one. Don't have the money. They said, well, we want to help you. We've been blessed. We want to bless you. We want to give you $12,000. This is in like 2002. That's like a million now. $12,000. Pay us back when you can. So we took that and bought our first house, $98,325 duplex. The person who sold it to us had been waiting. They felt like God said to them, a pastor is going to buy it. Wow. $98,325. That's like a down payment in some parts of Syria. I know. It's okay. <laughs> 16 years ago. Within three years, we were able to pay it back. In 2011, that seed was in our barn when we moved over here. And we are like, how are we going to make it? That seed became with someone else. And we bought a house share together. And after three years of that, we moved into our own place. And they moved into their own place. From the seed of somebody over here that lived in overflow, put something into our hand. God blessed it. Made a way for us where we had no way. Made a way straight where there was no way. And then we were able to then step into another place and help someone else. And then another family gets to experience God making a way for them, breaking through for them, doing what they can never do. Now, I'm, that, that's, that's my story. And I believe God wants to do all kinds of stories like that. But when I give Jesus the first and best, he makes ways where there is no way. When I give Jesus my first and best, he opens doorways that aren't doors to him. When I give Jesus the first and best, Suddenly, I am no longer solely responsible for the success of my life. Jesus is going forward for me. Invite the worship team to come if they're not already there. When you're receiving a legacy, you're getting free what someone else worked for. You are blessed to be a blessing. And it's not a matter of money. It's a matter of heart. Does God have your heart? Do you know that right now you are living in a legacy of someone else? You're living in a legacy of someone else. In 1956, this church was planted by a widowed single mom who moved from Vancouver and planted Wally Revival Tabernacle up in, in Wally. You're sitting in someone's legacy, someone who dreamed and went after and put God first in a scary way. In 1978, I think it was 78, this property that we're on, which is, I think, 39 acres now, at that time it was 54 acres, was purchased for $1,080,000. 
1978, 1,080,000. It's half a duplex now. But then it was a big stretch. It was a huge stretch. Pastor Kirk, Marvin, Alex are still here from those days. Many of you were. Through the 80s and 90s, there were years and years of financial and other challenges that were eventually overcome. And we live in legacy where once was a dream became a discussion that became a blueprint that you're sitting in right now. And it's far more than a building. But it's at least that. That little blueprint there is this property. It's on the screen. You can see where you are on there maybe. Think right on the A. I think that's right where you are. But the legacy is far more than a property. I know of a young man that came here quite quiet, insecure, unsettled. Came here for one year to go to Bible college, but God got a hold of his life in that one year in this church. God began to transform him from the inside out, and he, he felt a call to ministry while here. He met his wife, who also went to the school. She had come to the school broken from the effects of a divorce in her family. Through the ministry of our school region, she began to be healed. That couple met, got married. They served in kids' church and, and kids' youth ministry here. Eventually, they were sent out to pastor. And God used them in two different churches and cities and continued to develop them. And in 2014, they became your lead pastors. We have experienced, we have experienced the power of legacy. The power of that flowed down to us because individuals made significant investments in things that would leave a legacy for other people and in other people. How many of you have been impacted by the legacy of a 1956 vision of a woman who had no business as a woman in that culture at that time, but still said, I have, I'm, I'm going to dream and I, I, there's people who are going to be touched. If you've been touched by what God's done through, through Horizon Church, through Wally Revival, Tabernacle Bible Fellowship, whatever you put, just put your hand up for a moment. Look around the room. Look around the room. That's the power of legacy. And together we can do what God has for us because the wonderful thing is that we live in legacy. The challenging thing is that we are made to live for legacy. But God has to settle the issue of our hearts. It's essentially living in such a way that your life outlives you. We have been given a legacy, a vision, of property and resources, but God is calling another generation to join with the generations that have gone before us and say, will we allow God to settle the issues of our heart? Because this is what legacy means. See, there's an enemy that knows that when you give, more people are going to know God. There's an enemy that knows that as long as he has your heart, the kingdom of God is not going to be advanced. But if when you give, the kingdom of God is going to be advanced, the kingdom of darkness is going to fail and be pushed back. We need to see more of that in our city. We need to see more of that in our nation. We need to see more of that around the globe. Because God partners with us and uses our time, our talent, and certainly our treasure to feed and clothe people. He uses it to facilitate and spread the gospel to places all around the world. And that's why the enemy of our souls works so hard to corrupt and distort our thoughts about money and try to lead us to serve money 
instead of God. We serve God and money serves us, not the other way around. But there are still kids in inner city schools that right now need us to be legacy people. There are those that need us to be legacy people and plant churches and campuses all over Metro Vancouver, in every capital city in Canada. There are youth that need to be shown love, acceptance, and forgiveness by a legacy people. There are disabled people in Uganda that need us to help the church there, to be their advocate, to be legacy people. There are refugees in this city that need to be welcomed, that need to be loved, that need to be encouraged, that need to be taught English, that need to be given hope by a people that are a legacy people. There are widows in Kenya that we work with that need us to be legacy people and continue to give them a hand up so that they can feed their families and they can help orphans and they can help another generation discover God. There are people trafficked in our city right now that need us to be legacy people that live beyond ourselves. There are addicts that need to be delivered and saved. Church, our city needs us. Our nation needs us. The world needs you to be a people that live in overflow, that don't just live in survival mode. And whether it's $1 or it's $100,000, that we live in such a place that say, God, whatever I have is yours, and I'm going to go first, and I'm going to trust you with my tithe, my 10%. I'm going to give generously of it, but I'm going to do it, and I'm going to see you little by little, step by step, drop by drop, seed by seed, bit by bit, begin to change me from being huddled in survival to being generous. And I'm going to lead, let you lead my life. Jesus said to seek first, not last. Take care of the heart issues with God and he'll take care of the money issues with you. And over the next few weeks, we're going to take a holistic view of our finances, not just telling you to give here, although this, this is foundational. Because if you don't trust God with your finances, everything else is just stories. It's it's just some advice. But God never called us to be a self-help club. We believe you'll be helped, but he wants to actually deal with us in the issue of our heart. Because when when he has our heart, he has our hands. And when he has our hands, he can do so much through our hands in a legacy life. We want to talk about the struggles. We want to talk about how to handle it better, how to multiply it, how to reduce anxiety and worry about it. You don't have to live under the curses that come with loving money. You can handle money well. You can guard your money from being wasted and pillaged. You can live in overflow with blessing. You can have enough to bless your life, to enjoy your life, enjoy your family, and to have seed to sow into your future and to be a blessing to others. Can I invite you to stand? The question that Jesus is posing to us is, will you put me first in your finances?